Hello, welcome to the Eating for Health podcast. I'm Dr. Harriet Home, founder of Healthy Eating Doctor, registered nutritionist and doctor. I studied medicine at Cambridge University, worked in the NHS for over a decade, have a PhD in genetics, lecture on nutrition and was commissioned to write a novel degree combining culinary skills, nutrition and health. I'm on a mission to break down nutrition myths and share science-backed nutrition to help empower you. I'll share some interviews, theories and practical tips focused around nutrition and health. Stay tuned to find out more. I'm really delighted to welcome Dr. Olina Kerrick to talk with me today about habit formation. Olina studied medicine at the University of Bristol and then trained as a paediatric doctor. She is now a family health advocate, empowerment mentor, pioneer, author, educator and mother. Orlina helps families create healthy habits they love so they can all feel fit and fabulous without having to think about it. So I'm really delighted to have uh, Dr. Orlina here to talk with me and we're going to be talking about habits and habit formation. Um, but first... Um, she's got a really interesting backstory and it starts in uh, the world of paediatrics and the NHS. So I'm going to let her tell you how she became a nutrition coach. Hi, Harriet. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. And I am calling from not so sunny Spain, although it is the middle of winter. So, yeah, I started, I trained as a paediatric doctor and I totally loved it. But I always wanted to live abroad. And so nearly 10 years ago, we moved to Spain with my eyes wide shut thinking, well, at the time you were in the EU and that it would just be easy for me to work here. I would carry on being a paediatric doctor and my life would, you know, just change in that I would learn Spanish. But to cut a very long story short, that did not happen. And it wasn't as easy as just moving abroad. Um, So I basically turned to the internet to do something, sort of started a bit as a hobby, if I'm being perfectly honest. And I had four children well, when we moved, I had two, but then I had twins. And so I ended wow. up with four. And you know what it's like, picky children. I'd been that pediatric doctor who had been seeing all those kids with constipation because they didn't eat vegetables and me saying, oh, it's really easy. Just mm-hmm. eat vegetables. And then I had my own kids and I was like, oh, it's not so easy. I put the vegetables out and they don't eat them. And so I did a lot of work on picky eating and you know, working out how we can teach our kids healthy eating habits. And over the years, I've kind of changed, pivoted a bit to really encompass family habits and working with women and mothers who were sort of the linchpin of the family really, but also have this amazing habit of putting themselves at the bottom of the pile and putting everybody else's needs in front of their own. So it's about how to just help everyone, what I say, spiral up. Instead of going down that negative plug hole, spiraling up so that you can create healthy habits. I love talking about systems, routines, habits, and how you can lead an amazingly healthy life and really enjoy it and love it so that we can live a long and healthy life. And our kids can too. Absolutely. And so do you miss paediatrics at all? Because it must have been quite a shock then to come over and think you were going to carry on with your career and Definitely went through a stage where it was almost like I had lost my own identity. You know, I'd gone from this, you know what it's like working in the NHS, busy, busy, busy. What is a lunch break? My bleep just goes off through a lunch break to like almost careering into a, a grinding halt with four children and my days going, oh, what shall I cook for dinner today? Except my kids aren't going to eat it anyhow. So, I, you know, that was when I sort of spiraled yeah. down that negative plug hole, I would say. And at that time, it was really before I'd done any of this work on mindset and emotions and habits. And I just 
I didn't see it. You're inside that hamster wheel of negative thought after negative thought after negative thought. And I think that was really a catalyst or having four kids was a catalyst to really sort of start looking at my own self. And what I say is, you know, I worked on myself first so that I'm now in this place where I know what other people are going through and can help them. And so, yeah, I do miss the clinical aspect of it. I really enjoyed being a doctor. There's bits of it I didn't miss like nights and working weekends, <laughs> but I do miss that. But I also now kind of see myself as somebody who's into preventative medicine. You know what? So yeah, much absolutely. of the NHS is lifestyle medicine. Not so much in kids, but in adults. And I just think if we all lived a healthy life, which it's easy not to live a healthy life, but it's actually easy to live a healthy life too, we would get rid of so much disease and that would be amazing. So I kind of see myself as a doctor before you need a doctor. Let's avoid going to all of those doctors. <laughs> absolutely. But also I, I like now doing just nutrition. I like there's still there's lots of the problem solving people stuff. Um, and there's lots of overlap, I find. And it, it's about, you know, nutrition and health is, is, is really important. As you say, it's a, a huge factor in the you know, long term diseases that, that face, you know, our our, our world economy and um, I think it's really important we could save so many million deaths I think the, the Lancet said 150 million deaths if we all ate a bit healthier so it's amazing isn't it and I think the really is, is that people know what they should be doing it's just how do you do that which is why I love talking about systems habits and routines because that's the how basically and yeah, it's not just health for ourselves, it's health for our planet as well. Like if you mm. eat healthily, which is essentially in a nutshell vegetables, it's so much more healthy for the environment as well. So it's just knock on effect, knock on effect and easy and fun. Um, so tell me then about how do you go about uh, creating good healthy habits? Well, I think the first thing is to sort of step back and have a look at what habits are, because I hear so many people say, oh, I don't want a routine because I want space to do dot, 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 be creative or do this thing. And people don't sort of get this idea that habits and systems and routines are the answer and they are freeing. And I think if we look at our brains, it's they're super interesting I'm not a neuroscientist, so I'm going to keep it simple. But essentially, we have two parts of our brain. And we like to think of ourselves as having one part. We, when we think about our identity, we think about this one person who does this one thing. But clearly, that's not actually the case, because otherwise, we'd never disagree with ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I'm always, you know, five different thoughts. And you think those thoughts don't all join up. So we have our prefrontal cortex, which is this bit here at the top of our, above our eyes. And that's the thinking brain. That's the bit that likes to plan and says things like, we're going to give up chocolate for a month because it's really healthy for us. That's going to be fun, isn't it? That's what we're going to do. Yeah. And that part, of, yeah, exactly. The sort of in charge. We like to think that this bit is in charge. And it's really energy expensive. That part of our brain is the part of the brain that's using so much of our energy, our thought energy, our actual you know, physical calories in terms of, well, either ketones or glucose, depending on what your brain is using at that moment. And then we have another part of our brain, well, we'll just call it the rest of the brain, <laughs> which we call our habit brain, which is more subconscious. And that leads us to do things out of habit. And essentially a habit is something that you do without thinking about it. So you're not really aware that you're doing it and your habit brain accounts for so much of your behavior and the good thing about your habit brain is that it's low energy you just do it without thinking it's not 
using your car in first gear. Yeah, absolutely. It's autopilot and you're just coasting along. Yeah, exactly. So there's pros and cons. The problem with your habit brain is that if you have bad habits, you do them without thinking. But if you have good habits, you do them without thinking. And to your brain, whether the habit is a bad habit, eating lots of chocolate or cakes or even smoking. I know smoking is addictive, but it's still a very habit forming thing. Or whether you're doing those healthy habits, exercising, eating vegetables, yoga, I don't know, whatever it is you want to do to your brain, once that habit is formed, it's still exactly the same thing. Your brain just does it on autopilot without thinking. And the amazing thing about habits, and I think this is the key that people don't really realize, is that we tend to use our prefrontal cortex to arrange those things that we can just offload to our habit brain. So it's a bit like saying, do you know what? I'm going to pay for an assistant to do all of that stuff I don't want to do. And that thing is your habit forming brain, which then gives you so much time to do all of those things that you want to do. Read a book, be creative, enjoy life, be with your kids and allows your brain, your thinking brain to then go, hey, I've got so much more free time. So people often say, oh, you know, I don't have time to do this routine thing. And my answer is, no, no, you've got it wrong. You get more time. It feels like, obviously, everyone has 24 hours in a day, but it feels like you have more time when you've got a routine that works for you. And the key is obviously to get a routine to, that works for you. So when people say, I want to be creative, I don't like routines because I want to be creative. Well, you haven't created the right routine because your routine should include all of those things that you want to do. And I know life happens and we can't make it perfect, perfect, but you can on a weekly basis say, okay, I may not be able to do an hour of me time every day, but I can put it in twice a week, or yeah. I may not have time to go to the gym for an hour every single day, but I can do a 20 minute walk or whatever it is that you want to do. And so really routines, habits, and systems are your freedom to make your amazing life and do all of those things you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. It just needs to be tailored for you and achievable because otherwise I think if you put in an hour of, say you have, you know, 20 uh, fruit and vegetables a day, that's for most people is nowhere near achievable. And so they'll just fall off the wagon straight away and think, well, this is pointless. This routine isn't helping or I'm never going to get this habit. So I think it has to be achievable. It has to be personalized. And um, how long do you think you have to, to do it in order for it to become a habit as opposed and subconscious habit as opposed to the conscious thought process? Yeah. Okay. So that's, so this is what I talk about is like that rickety bridge. So you're absolutely right. So you're in position A, now which is where you are right now with life happening and then place b is where you want to get to where everything just happens automatically so you know when you talk about being achievable yes it's not achievable from place a but once you're there you can design your life whatever you want it to be yes absolutely and you get halfway along your prefrontal cortex is going yeah we're going to get this habit we're going to get this habit so going back to chocolate we're going to give up chocolate Say, for example, your habit is I drive back from work and I have a bit of chocolate to reward myself. Before you know it, your habit has gone, this is what we do. We eat chocolate at this time. So, for example, you might buy your chocolate from the garage when you fill up with petrol. And then you get to that place. Your brain's not really thinking, but you walk out with a bar of chocolate in your hand and you think, how did that happen? I, I wasn't going to eat chocolate. That's just habit. And so your habits are constantly bringing you back. When you've truly got that habit, that habit is the thing that you fall back to when, when 2020 happens, when COVID hits. So I think last year is a good way to look at habits because if you're using your prefrontal cortex, it's not a habit. 
if you're thinking about it, it's not a habit yet. So it's those things that you do on autopilot, even when things aren't going wrong. And to answer your question, how long does it take to get there? Well, this is an interesting question. And obviously, it's different for different people. And you know, you can form a habit instantly, for example, you know, if you're a smoker and you go to the doctor and they say you've got lung, lung cancer, you need to stop. Well, not everyone will stop, but some people will instantly stop. And they've broken that habit of a lifetime in a day. Mm. Most people, it takes longer. And there's conflicting data about it. But people say, on average, 66 days. Uh, you know, it's like, it's around two months, but there's no exact number. And what happens? How do you form these habits? Well, you repeat it, you repeat it, you repeat it until the magic happens. And one day you kind of realize that you're no longer thinking about it anymore. And, and suddenly you're doing it. That's a really magical time. So there's lots of clients sort of say to me, if they've changed their diet, no restrictions, but you know, they're making regular healthy choices. And you know, they've been doing that for several months and they've lost weight, they're feeling great. Um, and they don't feel as though they're missing anything. It doesn't feel like a diet in any way. It just feels like they've made those changes to life. And they sort of say, well, will I put on my weight back on? And I say, no, because these are now like healthy habits that you've now got into. You don't feel as though you're restricted or you're missing out on life. You're just making those healthy choices regularly. And I think that it's a really amazing place to get to and a really sustainable place when you've, when you've got that routine and it's, it can be really life-changing. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing you do have to be aware of is that habits do come back as well. So this is a, a, a pro and also not a pro in with all things with habits, there is that double edge. So for example, when I was a child, I used to play the piano and I stopped playing the piano when I was about 18. Now, when COVID hit, I got out this electric keyboard and started playing and I'm like, oh, wow, I can still play. That's habit. Habits come back mm. in the same context. So there's two keys really that help you get across that wobbly bridge. And the first one is cues. So that beginning bit of the habit, what is it that your brain associates with? So for example, for me, coffee, coffee equals snack. Now I've recently changed my coffee habit. So I've stopped having two cups of coffee and I'm just having one cup of coffee, but I don't have it mid morning. I have it when I get in from dropping the kids off, which is about an hour after breakfast. So I don't really need anything to eat, but I've noticed that my brain kind of goes coffee snack. And I'm like, coffee not snack but there's this internal <laughs> battle I think, I think the same thing as well like lots of people say if you're going to try and do like intermittent fasting oh, I can't possibly fast that long you know sort of time restricted eating because I need my three meals a day and I think it's really you know culturally ingrained you know it's a real habit that we we've got into and lots of people say oh well I need a snack before bed well you probably don't that's probably habit a lot of the time I think yeah, well, I think that is, um, the, uh, it can be two things going on. I think there's sometimes people get addicted to that quick release glucose. Mm. So they get used to having yeah. external glucose surges as in eating it, as opposed to allowing their bodies to release yeah. the glucose yeah. from their stores. But the other thing is, yeah, that is mindset. That's the way you think about things. And I think this brings us nicely around to the second bit is rewards. So when you've got a habit that is ingrained and you're doing it without thinking, you don't need a reward. You just do the habit. Mm. But when you're changing your habits, you like to have a reward, a dopamine reward, which, you know, is a neurotransmitter mm. and it lasts only a very short period of time. So it can't be a reward in a week's time. It's got to be a reward now. And the best kind of rewards are internal, intrinsic rewards. So things that are important for you, as opposed to things that are important for other people. So 
if your doctor tells you, you need to go to exercise, do some exercise to reduce your blood pressure, unless you're invested in that, you're going to go, yeah, it's not. So you might repeat, you might repeat, you might repeat, but you're not building up a habit until you go, okay, I really want to have this outcome of reducing my blood pressure. And so I can see that my habit is going to help me get there in the same way that thinking about how we eat things. So if, you know, someone's eating last thing at night and can't see that that isn't helping them with whatever it wants to get, what they're more attached to is the snack than the rewards of not eating the snack. So they haven't built up that intrinsic reward there. And I also think that comes, it comes sort of round to sort of like an emotional eating in that so much eating isn't actually for physical hunger. It's more for reward based. It's sort of unpicking that as well, that realizing, you know, thinking when you're hungry, ah, oh, am I, am I actually really hungry or am I just used to eating something or do I want that reward? And, you know, things like cake and biscuits and chocolates, they're mainly for reward, aren't they? They are stimulating those dopaminergic pathways they're giving you that hit that sugar hit and also um, high calorie uh, high fat refined sugar foods are probably addictive in the way they um, in the way they work they they stimulate those neurotransmitters they are um, you're more likely to become addicted to those than you are say for example to broccoli so and there's good probably good you know mechanisms why that sort of have happened on an evolutionary basis that you know when we were cavemen women that if we found you know a high fat nutrient dense food we're more likely to gorge on those for times of you know of famine than we are to to do the same for a broccoli so I think you can see how it sort of happened how we have to sort of think of that but it's really important, I think, then to sort of consider when you're eating, are you eating because you're hungry and are you enjoying every mouthful? Or are you thinking, oh, I've had a really rubbish day here. I need a pick me up um, and I need a chocolate bar or I need a biscuit or something specific, which is not because you're physically hungry. It's because actually you just need an emotional, you know, you need a pick me up. And it's about then disengaging those thought processes and actually thinking, well, instead of having a biscuit, I'll have. I'll do something else that's fun. I'll have a hobby. I'll I'll do some of my hobby. I'll read a book. I'll watch TV. I'll go for a run. I'll I'll do something that I get those feelings of happiness from instead of the biscuit. Because often with once you've had the biscuit, then you feel guilty that you've had the biscuit, and then it sort of goes round. You have those sort of negative cycles of of guilt, and then it's back to needing to pick me up again. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with absolutely everything you <laughs> you've said, and I think this you know, what you're talking about now is, again, how do you create those habits? And I think it boils down to what you want to do is make good habits easy mm-hmm. and bad habits difficult. So when you're talking about the biscuit, you say, okay, I've identified, and I think self-awareness is another big part Absolutely. of the key. So, you know, you can't change things that you're not aware of. So you first of all have to get your self-awareness. Okay, I have this habit of eating a couple of digestive biscuits a day, Interestingly, I was going through, I don't teach people how to count calories, but there are 71 calories in a digestive biscuit and 7,700 calories you need to burn to use to to get rid of a gram of a kilo of fat. So it's around 110 biscuits. You think, okay, so look, if I'm eating two biscuits a day in two months time, if that's all the changes I make and I leave everything else still, I will lose a kilogram of yeah and those small changes really do add up all you need to do is do a couple of small changes and when you have a sort of like avoid habit you know when someone says to you uh, don't think about 
they did a test about this. Don't think about white polar bears, they said. <laughs> and if I tell you not to think about white polar bears, guess what you exactly go and do? You start thinking about white polar bears. And so you've actually primed yourself to be more aware, slightly obsessed by white polar bears. And the same thing's going to happen with your digestive biscuits. Or as you say, like go for a walk around the block, do something with a different habit. So make the bad habit more difficult. Stop buying digestive biscuits. And I would say any other biscuits in your house, just keep your house a biscuit free zone. Perhaps you want to replace it with a carrot stick. You could just forget about eating. You don't need to eat, but you know, I'm going to walk around the block or I'm just going to take the rubbish out for five minutes. So make sure you've got your outdoor shoes, your mask, if you need to wear a mask, your rubbish that you're going to take out and you've lined up that habit. So yeah, I mean, I agree with you. We all eat for emotional reasons. It's when you're not aware of it that that's the issue. So I get bored mid-morning and I'm like, oh, I have to have a coffee. I could put my trainers by the front door and my bag and go, okay, instead of eating my digestive biscuits, I'm just going to go for a walk around the block. And so I've got rid of that boredom. And now I can come back and I can sit and do another hour's work before. But yes, we all, we all do emotional eating one level or another, I think. Absolutely. And then I think it comes down to a spectrum of how much you're doing it. And if you're eating for emotional reasons a lot, that's going to have a massive impact on on what you're eating because and and those cravings as well nobody craves broccoli i just you know nobody's going to be doing that they're going to be craving those nutrient dense foods so if you can sort of check in with yourself when you're thinking oh am i hungry like physical hunger slowly builds up you know you don't mind what you eat you don't have one sort of food preference you're not thinking about one thing and you know you can think oh, okay I'm physically hungry you know go and satisfy your hunger needs whereas if you think if you suddenly out of the blue think oh, I need a chocolate bar then you're thinking something's really specific yeah it can't wait and um, it's almost certainly going to be emotional hunger because actually if you were really hungry you know an apple or something else or you know a plate of pasta or something else would do but if only a, only a chocolate bar will do, then you know that that's sort of, you know, the key. And if you're having that all day, that's a lot harder to eat healthier because you're constantly having those cravings and you're thinking about them all day. So if you can remove, remove some of those cues, but equally, as you say about the white polar bear thing, if you can, if, if you, if you say, right, I'm going to cut everything out, I'm not going to go on, you know, sugar-free diet, for example, it's almost impossible to just to cut out a food group without feeling really restricted. And then all you do is think about it all day and how much you want it and, and how, you know, where if you know you can go down and eat as many as biscuits as you want, I don't think most people would. You've obviously not met my children. Um, yeah, oh, children <laughs> but they do, they do stop when they're full. I think and children eat much more in a sort of you know physical hunger way or certainly little children. well I think that that's a habit though I mean you're absolutely right I say to my kids they say mommy I'm hungry for chocolate and I say there is no such thing as only being hungry for chocolate I think this comes down to limits though because you're absolutely right that treat food we we have this drive to seek glucose it's mm. it's part of who we are and you can see obviously it was very useful back in the day when we were picking up berries and you know you come across a fig tree and you're like wow this is amazing I'm gonna you know eat all these fig trees yeah I'm gonna because they're only gonna be there for a week yeah and I have to eat them but then we were equally having times when well it depends I guess when you were living but we had times when we weren't eating like that and now we live in society where you can go and get huge amounts of calories that you can eat for no particular reason and I think this is another habit you know you can just 
eat a packet of biscuits, but it's that internal limit that you need to teach not only ourselves, but our children as well. And I think the best way to teach children is to show those internal limits. And I think we have this rule in our house, which is only one portion of dessert. And I had previously thought, this is recommended by a lady called Ellen Satter, who is, you know, sort of the top pediatric I don't know if she's a dietitian or nutritionist, but she does a lot of work on how to teach children healthy eating habits. And she recommends one portion of dessert. Now, I used to think, oh, do you know what? If you've got a healthy dessert like baked apples with no added sugar, Mm. does it really matter if the children eat a little bit more of that? And then I remember one time watching my mother dish out a really sticky dessert. They could all have seconds and just looking at it and thinking, oh, my goodness, there are so many calories about appropriate portion of dessert. And we don't need more. And again, seconds, another habit. Recently, my children love to have, we have porridge for breakfast, you know, oats. And they have this habit of wanting seconds and they go, oh, I'm really hungry. And I'm like, you're not hungry. You've eaten as much porridge as I have and I'm perfectly fine. It's just this habit of having seconds and so much that we do. Yeah, it's habit. So I have now said, we're not having seconds. You have a reasonable size portion and you don't need any more. And in fact, this brings me on to hunger, which... I have quite a hard line on hunger, I have to say, which I think is hunger is really interesting because hunger is a signal that we need. Without hunger, we will just starve to death because there would be no impetus to go out and find those foods. But what happens when you're hungry and you don't eat? And the answer is nothing. What happens is your body goes and starts breaking down all of those stores. Now, if you want to lose weight, that's what you need to happen. But even if you don't want to lose weight, it's not a bad thing for your body to be able to do that. It should be doing that. And hunger is another habit because it's just saying, go out and get some food, go out and get some food. Well, if you wait, the hunger kind of disappears, but we're so scared of hunger from a social point of view that we go, oh, well, we have to eat when we're hungry. And the answer is, actually, you don't have to eat when you're hungry. No, but I think um, we're so used to a 24 hour culture now where you can buy anything at any time of the day, whether that's in a shop or, you know, maybe maybe different, you know, in a large metropolis like London. But, you know, maybe in I don't know where whether you're in a town or rural Spain, whatever, but it's probably a bit harder. But still here, you know, you could have, you know, any manner of takeaways probably all through the night. And people aren't used to waiting in life in general anymore and certainly not for food. And I think that you know, we have such a, you know, a 24 hour news, social media, you know, everything is go, go, go. It's fast, fast, fast. That we have the same with food. And so I think we, you know, oh, I'm hungry. I'll go and eat. And people are just not used to waiting like, you know, they probably were a hundred years ago. Yeah, no, totally. And I think this all comes back to dopamine. There's a dopamine reward so that now we, you know, back in the day, your dopamine reward would be, oh, wow, I found this glut of blackberries or something like that. Oh, super exciting. Whereas now, you're absolutely right, we're used to these dopamine rewards all the time. And dopamine likes unexpected things. So they've done tests on this as well. So when you're forming your habit, if you have an unexpected reward, that's more exciting for your brain than an expected reward. And you can see this in action, for example, in checking social media the whole time. Most of the time, social media isn't super interesting, mm. but occasionally you see something exciting. And yet we come back to social media and we come back to social media. And, you know, they've put this into games now. So, you know, if you have a reward, which is just, oh, you're going to get two points, it's not as interesting as if the reward is, oh, you roll a dice and then you get one or six points or whatever it is. Yeah. And so we, 
love dopamine. And actually the last year of sitting at home and not having a hugely exciting life can be a good lesson in resetting your dopamine receptors. The problem is social media. And then actually we've all turned to social media and that just replaces those dopamine rushes. But it isn't a bad trick to do to reset your dopamine receptors and just go, do you know what? This is life. Simple. No dopamine surges. Just my dopamine surge is going to be looking at that nice sunset or going for a walk in the woods and enjoying those simple pleasures in life. And I do think that COVID has helped. For some people, COVID has been, you know, unbearably tough. Frontline NHS workers, the people that are struggling and financially and people that have been sick but I think there's an awful lot of people that have been able during lockdowns or have, you know find that in a you know in a simple life maybe and go back to oh, a pleasure just going out in nature for example and I certainly know that for me just going for a coffee will be you know a momentous occasion when I finally get there <laughs> seeing my friends bumping into someone yeah. and saying hello to somebody yeah. I know in actual physical you know I'm only a few meters away from them yes absolutely and you realize how important social contact is um, yeah. you know, actual real social contact not just via digitally I think you're right and I think dopamine plays a huge role in it and I remember from I mean it's a long time ago so I did experimental psychology as my uh, third year during my medical degree at Cambridge and we did all these, about these sort of mouse experiments um where if you put them in a cage and you give them food or cocaine they go for the cocaine and they starve themselves to death because they're they're so dopamine you know it's the dopamine reward that they keep going back for more and more and more and I think you know we're the same with with food now you know as a as a society which is the abundant food supply means it's always there it's always available whatever we want whenever we want it and um we live a stressful life with lots of stresses stress you know increases our um it increases the drive to eat and it also um dampens down that um, feeling of fullness as well so when you're emotionally eating not only are you probably eating more food that you didn't need but you also it's much harder to to listen to those internal cues so i think being mindful stepping back thinking about when you're hungry if you're hungry what you're hungry for and do you really feel that you need you know food and can you make a healthy choice are all sort of a really good starting point to maybe change those those habits but can yeah you, absolutely can you can you if someone's sort of starting off the journey now can you give them some tips then or have you, have you got any sort of takeaway tips that you could give them yeah so I think obviously I think if you want to redo everything you're better off working with a coach like you or me and the reason for that is because it can be complicated and you know you get to that rickety bridge and you fall over and then self-doubt starts to come in and you start thinking about you know am I doing this right and oh it's so much easier I'm just going to jack it all in and go back to the beginning if you decide you want to do it by yourself so if you could just do one small change which is you know stop your two digestive biscuits or go for exercise it doesn't have to be a big thing and it feels like nothing but if you think about Okay, so if I'm going to go for a 15-minute walk every single day, it feels like nothing. But if I do that every single day for a year, I've worked, walked, Miles. you know, three, four hundred kilometers a year. And that's, that's up to something that's a worthwhile change, you know. So on a daily basis, it feels like nothing, but it is worth doing. Those small changes really, really do add up. And then- yeah, and so you do one until it becomes habit. And then one day you realize, oh, I do my 15 minute walk every day without even thinking about it. And what you'll find is you'll 
go, oh, I can't do my 15 minute walk today because for whatever reason. And then you're a bit like, I feel a bit strange because I haven't done my 15 minute walk. I need to do my 15 minute walk. So then, you know, you've got that habit and then you can think, okay, now time to think of another habit that I can do. And to be perfectly honest, I think we're constantly looking at ourselves. I recommend people do a habit audit once a year because old habits slip up or you think, do you know what? I want to do something else. I want to learn the guitar or I want to learn to play the piano or I want to go dancing. I want to do something else exciting in my life. So how am I actually going to do this? Well, I'm going to create a habit out of it. And then that, then I've got there. But yeah. So if we can do a habit audit every single year and go, this is what I'm going to work on. And I think, yeah, as you say, start small and build it up from there. And, and then it's so much more achievable. You're on that positive cycle and yeah. you know, the more and more you can do. No, that's really Absolutely. great. So thank you so much for talking about habits. I hope we've all sort of take away from that, that change is possible and we can all, all incorporate that into life. We just need to think about it. But um, so thank you. It's been really great and uh, I'd love to have you on. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed listening and I'd love if you'd give me a five star review and subscribe so that other people can find me too. I'm also at Healthy Eating Doctor on Instagram and I have lots more nutrition education information on both my video courses and on my website healthyeatingdoctor.com.